Hi everyone, I'm Sarah Baker and this is Mama Stories. I created Mama Stories after seeing how impactful sharing stories can be in overcoming the challenges of motherhood. I am where I am today because of the stories of so many amazing strong mamas and I want to share that with every mom I can. So follow along to laugh, cry, and be empowered. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. Have you heard about how we are changing the story for moms? Mama Fund is a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to providing products, services, and education to moms in need. So check us out at mamafund.org. Welcome to the show today, Amanda. Thank you. Amanda, thank you. thank you so much for allowing me in your beautiful home. Oh my goodness. Thank you for coming. Yes. All right. So tell us a little bit about Amanda. Sure. My name's Amanda Huffman. I am a mother of four. Uh, I've been married for 20 years. Um, I also work with a Pinterest marketing company and I run a nonprofit foundation and my family is everything. Yeah. Yeah. How long have you been working for the marketing company? It's just been about over two years. Um, I worked with them earlier in my parenting career um, and took some time off when, when my daughter got sick, but then I, I jumped back on board. So um, it's been a, a nice, my degree's in marketing, so it's been really kind of a nice thing to kind of put my brain in a different space and... Uh, be able to have my own schedule and work from home and things like that. So, yeah. yeah. Plus Pinterest. I mean, I mean, yeah. Like your job <laughs> is to be on Pinterest. <laughs> exactly. Basically. That's, Not many people can say that. That's so, a pretty, yeah, right? pretty good gig. Yeah, I think so too. <clears throat> All right. So you are a mom of four. Mm -hmm. So walk us through your motherhood journey. Sure. How old were you when you had your first sure. one? Let's see. Um, we... We were married, we, Brandon and I got married in 1999 and we had our first child in 2003. So our oldest is just about 16. Uh, so we'll be getting ready for driver's license and oh, man. all of that, which is a whole other thing. But then, um, and then we had our son two years later. So Cade, he's in eighth grade. Um, he's our only boy. And then we had Avery a few years after that. She uh, is forever seven. However, coincidentally, this week would be her 11th birthday. So your timing is on point uh, for this discussion today. So it's kind of neat. Um, and then our youngest will be eight at, at the end of November. So. Wow. So we've, yeah. So before we jump into Avery. Sure. Um, 16. Are you just like freaking out? Like driver's license coming and. Yeah. Yeah. It's. It's a trip to think that, I mean, you know, you just remember your own 16th birthday and getting your driver's license and all of that and what that meant and how things have changed now. And they have a lot more legalities in place. You can't drive your friends. So, I mean, yeah. there's some other great <laughs> things that have prog you know, progressed since ages ago when I turned 16. But, um, yeah, but it is. It's, I mean, we're feeling old. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> you know, just to have yeah. our kid now driving. But I think she's looking forward to it, and it'll be nice to kind of ease some burdens, too. Like, she can help pick up people from practice and yeah. stuff like that. So, yeah. That part is nice. Yeah. 
I, yeah. I just can't even fathom. Like I get nervous when Grayson is just like playing at the park by himself and I'm sure. still there. I can't even imagine that independence of being in a car alone. Right. I know. Also, cause I remember turning 16, like right. you're saying, mm-hmm. so that's also part of my fear. Yeah. It's well, terrifying. I know. I know. So thankfully Alex is, she's a little nervous too. Mm-hmm. So oh, that's good. We're using that to our benefit. Yeah. I think there's some 16 year olds that are like, you know, anxiously awaiting that day. And so, and the freedom that it may bring that they think is coming, but Alex is, she's super responsible and all of that. So, oh, that's good. I think she's a little apprehensive. Like, Plus I feel like girls mean, are, yeah. are better at that kind of stuff. Yeah, that could be. A little bit more responsible Mm -hmm. at a younger age. Yeah. I'd like to think that since I was a girl (laughs) or I am a girl. Right. You are. You're still a girl. I still am. (laughs) All right. So you have your four beautiful babies Mm -hmm. um, and you mentioned that Avery is forever seven. Mm -hmm. So when Avery was six years old, yeah, right? Yep. um, You received a diagnosis for her. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about that day? So life was normal like any other family. We had a busy life of soccer practice and Mm -hmm. school and, um, you know, church and family and all, you know, just all the things that occupy a young mother's, you know, day. Mm -hmm. Um, And just shortly after Avery completed kindergarten in 2015, she woke up one morning and told me that her, you know, she was seeing two of everything. And so, you know, we, we looked closer and we realized that one of her eyes was a little inverted. And, you know, so I sort of Googled some things and looked up what that could possibly be, you know, and thought maybe she had just developed a lazy eye, which is Mm -hmm. fairly common in kids. And, um, So we just kind of watched it for a few days and didn't, you know, you know, you're like, they get scratches, they get bruises, they get all these things like kids are kids. So you just don't ever know. Yeah. Like, is, is this more than like what this is? And we certainly didn't think that at that time. So it was about three or four days of this eye still acting that way. Um, and so I called around and I got an appointment at a pediatric eye doctor who specializes in just seeing kids and that sort of stuff. So they were able to get me in sooner because, of course, the waiting list for these things is, you know, weeks so far, out yeah. um, and could kind of stress the urgency um, when I called and they could sense that. So we went and saw a, a great local eye doctor who came recommended and, and it was in that appointment, just thinking that we're going to, you know, be able to patch our eye and, like, strengthen things up, um, that he was clearly concerned. And I, I just had my mom with me at that time. Um, Brandon was out of town. So we, uh, he, he looked at me and he said, well, I, I'm... I'm seeing more than just a lazy eye. And when I kind of probed a little bit more about what, what, what did he mean? There's several nerves in your face. And so um, there was more than just the eye nerve 
being like kind of paralyzed at that point and he noticed some facial palsy too on one side of her face when he was examining her and so then he recommended that we get an MRI um, from there and so what was started off as just some simple eye exam Mm -hmm. turned into you know a lot of fear panic um, and worry you know yeah and so he gave us some numbers. Um, as soon as we left, I called, and it was sort of the same thing. Like, oh, in three weeks, we have an MRI. Oh, wow. um, you know, we can fit you in. And it's it's like, you know, as a mom, you were not going to take that, you know. Yeah. So you um, just, I remember, I can be pretty, pretty firm. And I think when our kids are involved and things like that are so important, you, you want to push for things to happen faster. So I ended up being able to get her in <clears throat> to a different office for a different MRI, but they could read it faster. So we went for a follow-up uh, for the appointment. Brandon was back in town. So this was like days later. This was a few <clears throat> days after. Okay. Yeah. And, and had it, anything gotten worse, or is it still just the eye? It was still the eye. She was noticeably a little more clumsy, um, like her balance was off, things like that. But otherwise, same disposition, same personality, mm-hmm. like every, you know, appetite, sleeping patterns, like everything like that was all the same. So we went for the MRI. They were able to get the results Um, over to the eye doctor fairly quickly. So we went back over to the eye doctor, and that's really when the nightmare, you know, was determined, and um, it really began. You know, I thought it was at that initial appointment, Um, but it was certainly after we had the MRI, MRI results. And, you know, they bring you into a back room, and all the eye doctor says is, uh, you need to get to the hospital, and you need to get there right now. Do not go home. Oh go gosh. to the emergency room. They'll be expecting you. And we found a mass. They can tell you more. Um, but you need to go now. So we sort of collapsed on the floor in the back of the with the eye doctor. Avery was with us. She was in the room. She was in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, they, one of the techs took her out um, after it was, like, clearly we couldn't compose ourselves to move as quickly out into the waiting room to leave. And, you know, they were, of course, apologetic and kind and all of that, but it was sort of like your worst nightmare, you know, yeah. so many questions and no answers, of course, because this isn't his area of expertise. Right. So we got in the car and we went down to Mary Bridge in Tacoma for the ER. And of course, just as he said, everyone was waiting for us and expecting us because they had already called ahead and said we were coming. They did a few more exams. They had had the MRI at that point already as well. And then it was determined exactly what was wrong with Avery's eye. And she, she was officially diagnosed with a disease called DIPG, 
which stands for diffuse intrinsic pontine glioma. It's a tumor in the pons of your brain stem. And the pons basically is the epicenter for all your brain activity, for your breathing, your heart rate, for your vision, for body movement, for everything. It's equated to like a ball of yarn. So it's this whole infused of all these nerve endings that, that are in your pons. And that's essentially where the tumor is. And that's what's called DIPG. So that's why Avery's eye was inverted, um, mm-hmm. because that was one of the nerves that was affected with where her tumor was located. So when you got to the hospital before they did all these tests, how was what was Avery's reaction to all of this? I mean, obviously, as parents, you guys are just melting down, but... What was she doing? She was, you know, we're trying to remain calm um, for her. I didn't want her to see us, you know, with having fear just to perpetuate the situation. Um, So we tried to, you know, we played music on the way down in the car. Like we just were trying Mm -hmm. to, you know, maintain as much normalcy just for her. I figured she didn't need to feel more panic, you know, than, mm-hmm. than, than was necessary. So we tried to shield her some from that. But I remember her distinctly asking me in particular, um, as soon as we got home, a few days later, because we ended up having to be admitted and lots of things. Um, I remember her saying that, you know, she heard point blank asking me if she was going to die. And at that point, we hadn't even shared, you know, kind of the timeline of what this disease looks like and anything. So it was certainly, um, it was certainly a difficult uh, question and situation. But I think looking back now, I think she sort of knew more than we thought she did, you know? Mm -hmm. And in lots of ways we were learning from her, even though we didn't, we thought we were helping her, you Mm -hmm. know, ourselves. So how did you handle that question? What did you say? Well, I think I just remember, you know, I, I didn't lie, um, to her, but I, I just basically, I hugged her and I said, well, I, I don't want that either. Um, yeah. The thing with DIPG um, is that there's, there's no treatment. There's, it's not like a glioma or other brain cancers where there's effective protocol for any sort of assistance or um, treatment. The only offering for DIPG um, is palliative treatment, and that's basically for life extension. Um, That's not for a cure. That's not for treatment. That's just to buy you time. So when we were there in the ER, we hear DIPG. We ask questions like, you know, well, okay, what, you know, what can we do? Mm -hmm. When's the surgery? Yeah. What are we looking at here? Um, and when you're not getting a response, you just get sort of a blank stare. Um, 
you know it's not good. You know, there's no timeline. The average life expectancy uh, for somebody that's been diagnosed with DIPG is six to nine months. Wow. Um, And Avery, Avery was lucky to get seven and a half. So. Wow. So what did that look like? You came home. Obviously, your world is completely different. But now you have Avery and then you have all your other kids. Mm-hmm. How do you take the next step? So we ended up being admitted after that original an initial emergency room visit. Avery had to have some steroid treatments to reduce her inflammation. We had to start lining up radiation treatment that would shortly follow for 30 days in a row. Um, and she she became, you know, you're taking all these things and they suggest and it's supposed to help. Um, but al- along with it became like so much fear and personality changes mm. Uh, steroids they were giving her um, like make her super hungry and almost moments of rage and that's just inevitable with what she had to take and so we had to work through that Um, but it was hard for sure and then having really tough conversations with our with our other kids um, at home on what we were what we were looking at and what what this road was going to be like. Did you have those like alone or as a family? How did you handle those conversations? Yeah, we sat, well, at that time, um, our oldest, our oldest two kids were, were able to have those kind of deeper discussions um, with us. So we sat them down and then our youngest was three. So it was Mm -hmm. a difficult (laughs) time to try to process exactly what she was understanding so we sat Alex and Cade down uh and and really just told them they knew obviously that something was wrong we had been gone for a few days with her in the hospital but just what this diagnosis was what it meant you know what we were looking at really hard difficult questions um they that they had to process and ask too. And, um, and then also just, you know, kids are kids, right? So they want to know like, what the, what does this mean for them? Yeah. And how, you know, our time wasn't going to be totally available to them. We were going to be, you know, juggling a lot. Um, lots of people helping us with things. They were going to be kind of, on the back burner, you know, so to speak for a little bit. So we just really had a lot of open conversations about what we were up against. Yeah. I, I can't imagine going through any of that. Um, I, it's, it's hard to even know like how to ask how to be there. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know how someone takes the next step from something like that. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about this yeah. previously, but with your kids primarily, I think it's easy to be like, well, they just kept me going, right? Like Avery had these treatments that we had to do. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of just not autopilot that you would actually yeah. be on, but it's like, okay, we have a next step to take. But I think what's great about what you just shared is that I do think kids are 
sometimes stronger than we think that they are. And I do think being open with your oldest too about this, I'm sure helped them start to process it too, Mm -hmm. because how do you even, I mean, how do you process it one, but then how do you help them process it? And I, I think being open is probably one of the hardest things you Mm -hmm. could ever do, but I'm sure it helped a lot in comparison to not giving them everything, trying to shed or shield them from what's going to happen. Right. We, yeah. And we really tried to be as transparent as possible. And I think because it was so hard, you know, for all Mm -hmm. of us in so many ways, um, the more we could talk about it, the better, you know, the better it made kind of coping with things go. So it, we didn't always have, of course, the right answers, or maybe we didn't handle everything the right way, but it's, you know, we, we asked those hard questions. We talked about those hard things and we were able to be together. And at that point, like really that's all that mattered, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, who cares about, you know, soccer practice? It's like, we're making memories as a family because this is what we have today. So Yeah. yeah. And so did Avery still go to school or what, what did Avery's days look like? She did. So this, she was diagnosed June 30 of 2015. Uh, She started radiation on July 4th of that year. So all for the next month and a half, uh, we had daily radiation treatments. Avery was um, a rock star in that Mm. she, she didn't have to be sedated for any of her radiation or her MRIs. So she was able to sit still for all of those treatments And I don't know if you've ever been or seen somebody receive radiation treatment in their brain, but they essentially have, they have to get fitted for a plastic. It's a mesh mask that they get fitted for that fits their whole entire face. And then it's, it starts off soft. And then after it's um, ready, it's basically a hard plastic piece of mesh. So it's breathable, um, sort of like a net, but like really fine Mm -hmm. weave and so it's fitted and it's form fitting to her face, almost like Spider-Man sort of mask. Mm-hmm. And then they, they actually snap that down to a tabletop. Um, for, so from the neck all the way around the whole head, it's snapped down to a tabletop. And then they're put into this tube that does the actual radiation. So the whole process only takes about, you know, the radiation itself. You have to step out. She's in this room by herself, stamped to this table with this machine kind of working over her. Uh, it's only about five minutes, but it's, if you saw it, it would be enough to, you know, most adults can't, yeah. can't even do that. So, so she had radiation all through the summer. We were contacted by Make-A-Wish. We had a Make-A-Wish trip. She wanted to go to Disney World, so we went and did that as a family. Had lots of other really unique, cool things. Uh, The community really rallied around us, um, and Avery got to do a lot of, like, surprise parties, and she was... um, honored as the honorary princess of Arendelle from Kristen Bell. And so that was really exciting. Kristen Bell called her on the phone and yeah, asked her about Hoppy Jumpy and her family and all this sort of stuff. So it was just really neat. Like she had a lot of really cool experiences um, that brought her joy and, and the other kids too, you know, kind of helped us cope through 
those difficult those difficult weeks of treatment and and then school started and there was no way she was going to miss first grade so we met with our school at this point with this disease is it basically takes away your abilities to um, walk like i said the to having a tumor in your pons affects each child different and so as soon as Avery's inverted eye started and we started radiation, she eventually lost the ability to walk and she suffered full right side body paralysis. So she was wheelchair bound. She was right handed. So she ended up um, figuring out how she could accommodate her left hand to do the things that she needed to do. So she learned to write with her left hand, to feed herself, kind of all of those skills. Um, that you and I might take for granted, you know, yeah. but one day when you wake up and you can't use your hand that you thought you could, um, she re kind of retrained herself to kind of process through and um, that was certainly admirable, Yeah, you know. So she was in a wheelchair. She couldn't use the restroom by herself. She can't get out of her wheelchair into her desk chair. So we had to work with the school district to set up a, a para for her that would assist her, at, you know, during the day when she was there. But there was, like, no – there was no way Avery was going to miss, you know, first grade. Like, that was sort of, like, her drive, you know, to see her friends, to be in class, to feel normal, kind of all of those things. But at this point, Avery had gone through radiation. She'd been on these heavy doses of steroids, which are protocol for somebody with DIPG. So she'd already gained at this point probably about 40 pounds on her like tiny six-year-old body, which is quite a bit. So she's not using all of her muscles. Um, so she's she looks very different than the Avery that just finished kindergarten. So it was wow. a big... It was a big deal to go to first grade um, and so many kids staring and mm. so many kids looking and wondering and like trying to figure out like even her close friends too. Like, you know, she looked drastically different than the Avery they knew. Yeah. Um, so, so how she did, did she handle that? You know, there were moments where she struggled with that, but for the most part we tried like just to maintain, you know, average, normal. Um, she just liked to laugh a lot. And so mm -hmm. we tried to just keep the humor going. She loved to be silly. And, you know, I, we did our best to never mention or talk about stuff. I mean, it was, it was obvious to all of us and to her too. Like, yeah. you know. <clears throat> I can't do things on my own now. I, like, I don't recognize myself. You know, when am I going to look like myself again? You know, stuff like that. So it was hard for sure. Yeah. Um, trying to remain normalcy is something that you keep saying. And I'm sure that that's hard because that's not normal. It's not really what you yeah. expected, obviously, and it's not what Avery expected. And so I'm sure that took a lot of work and a lot of trying on your part and on Brandon's part. Yeah. What was your, what did your alone time look like? Like, did you have time to just breathe, 
and take in the fact that it isn't normal anymore? Well, you're talking like that time? Yeah, um, like while this is all happening. We tried our best to really be everything to all the kids at that time. So I, I would say we, we didn't really, I was sort of fearful of having that, those moments by myself Yeah, because I didn't know that if I could come back from that and Mm. still be the role that I needed to be. Um, so I, I don't think I really ever let myself go to that place. Um, when we, you know, when we were in the thick of it, because that was my coping mechanism and my mm-hmm. push for survival, you know, is that like, well, gosh, I, you know, it's not time for a mom pity party right now for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have time for that. The kids, you know, they need more. So I, so I, I didn't really, I mean, we all knew what, what was coming. And I guess that was, that was the hardest part was thinking more like, how will this be then, you know? Mm-hmm. So when did Avery pass? So she was, um, so she turned seven in October. October so 19th, right? October 19th. Happy yep. birthday to yes, Avery. Thank you. She had a big party. We had all of our friends. Um, it's one thing to plan. Oh, sorry. No, don't be. It's one thing to plan your first, you know, your first birthday, your second birthday. It's another to plan your kids, what you know will be their last birthday. But we tried to... Give Avery everything she wanted and celebrate her. So we did our best and we just had, we had manicures. She was such so limited in what she could do then. So it made it hard. Like she would have loved, you know, done so much more. But we had friends come and we watched a movie and we painted nails, kind of just the simple stuff. And that, that was enough. Um, you know, she had the be- like the best day. So then um, we went through the Christmas season that year, also knowing what was coming. Avery was getting more symptoms. Things were getting worse. She was gaining more weight. She couldn't move more parts of her body. Um, thankfully we made it through the new year. We had some special things uh, planned for all this time. Community friends decorated our house with like Christmas lights and decor, Mm -hmm. you know, tried to make things magical, not just for her, but for the kid, you know, all the kids. We had a magician come on New Year's Eve and have a performance in our house. We had a puppy party, another organization of someone that we know uh, they brought over puppies, puppies over to our house. Oh, yeah, so we had like six or seven golden retriever puppies that just like 
licked all over the kit. I mean, it was just special time. Mm. And, you know, in those moments, like, you don't see disease, you don't see um, sadness, you're just locked into puppies and smiles and joy, Mm -hmm. yeah. So just after New Year's, um, Avery started complaining of, like, severe headaches, and um, she was unable to go to school for a few days. She made it in for half a day. Um, but then she was just too sick, too, too much nausea and, and headaches. And so we ended up having to bring her back to the hospital. And it was determined then that she had hydrocephalus, which is too much fluid in your brain. It can't regulate. So it was causing all these other things. Um, so she had to undergo a emergency surgery to drain some fluid out of her brain. And we met with a neurosurgeon in the ER, and he he basically said, you know, with this disease, like, this, I mean, this will help, but it's not going to, you know, I mean, it's essentially like you can do this surgery, but it's not going to help. Mm. But at that, you know, when you're looking at your daughter in pain yeah. and you're going to you're going to do the surgery because like the option of not doing it is just continued pain, even though you know the outcome at the end. So they, they did an emergency drain. Um, and, and then as soon as she came to after surgery, like she was her normal self, everything was great. It was like, Oh my goodness, maybe that's all we needed. Like that was it. Like you know, everything will be okay still for a little while. And she could still talk mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. just losing body function. Right, okay. right. So then it was about two weeks later. No, it was about a week later. We noticed that her incision had gone on her head from this drain. And so we had to bring her back in, and it was determined then that she really needed to have a shunt put into her brain to help regulate the fluid so that it wouldn't um, keep building up. And so it was sort of the same process, like, you know, well, you can do this surgery, but, you know, is it is it going to help? I mean, you know, with this disease, like, I don't know, and you have some risks. And anyway, as parents, you make these horrible, excruciating decisions mm. um, about what's best from, you know, the on-call neurosurgeon. And who, anyway. Mm-hmm. So we just, we ended up um following through with the shunt surgery and that was sort of the beginning of the end really mm-hmm. um Avery went through the surgery fine and um came home and then from there we essentially were um admitted into hospice service so we were able to bring her home have have our doctor come weekly to the house to examine her and check on her and then also get some assistance um and at home for bathing and um, therapy and stuff like that. Um, and so, so those were hard, those were hard days. Somebody was here with her, excuse me, somebody was here with her 24 seven or? 
No, um, but just given that her, she was so um, unable to do things by herself, and at that point, like, it was hard to lift her, um, so it was essentially for us to enroll into hospice, it was the doctor saying there's really nothing more we can do for her medically, you know, um, and so that was the recommendation is that, and we knew for sure we didn't want to live her final days at the hospital. Yeah. And she had made that clear too. So we, we pushed so hard to be able to just go home, you know, and do normal life. So the hope was that after the shunt surgery that even, you know, even on hospice services, like that didn't mean, you know, that was it at that point. Like yeah. you're signing up for the end. Um, we are, of course, hoping that there's more time, you know, ahead. But it just allows you not to, it allows you to have medical services in your house and yeah. not have to go to the hospital anytime something else comes up. So she had to get a port at that time so that we could give any medications, um, intravenously and not have to you know poker and everything mm-hmm. like that every time so I had to get uh, training on how to do that how to clean it how to flush it all of that but it just it allowed us to have care at our house and yeah. not have to take her in mm-hmm. um, which was yeah which was a blessing for sure yeah what did Avery do during the day? Did she watch TV, read oh, books? Or? Yes, Avery was like the movie queen. So we <laughs> we, we had set up her um, her room at that point. We had a hospice, um, like a hospital bed. So it had the, you know, it could raise. We got Apple TV for her room. And mm-hmm. yes, she became the master of the Netflix. And <laughs> we watched like movies around the clock. Um, she loved to do art. So we colored she was really big into her pets, so we, um, when she was first diagnosed, Avery wanted her own pet. I didn't share this with you, and we, at that time, we only had a, we had a dog, and it was like, no, you're not getting your own pet, because if you think you need your own pet, then Alex needs her own pet, and Kate needs his own pet, and Addison's going to want her own pet, and it's like, that's like more pets than kids, so no, <laughs> so, you know, but Avery had this way of getting what she wanted always for sure wrapping us around her finger so she really wanted her own pet and she's you know I'm going to treatment today I need my own pet and so we brought her to the pet store and she ended up picking out this bunny so she picked out this little gray bunny and she ended up naming him Hoppy Jumpy Mm -hmm. which he sort of became famous for so we call him HJ and he would just sit sit on her lap he came to radiation treatments and like a little carry bag like we never asked permission it was like we're bringing hoppy jumpy because it just soothed her it was sort of like her Mm. therapy pet so she would hold her bunny in her hospice bed um and he he would just sit he would just sit on her Mm. and he and he's not a guy just to sit he's like around the whole room he's box trains he's like better than a cat really (laughs) and (laughs) So she, you know, would want the pets up there with her and everything else. Mm. And, you know, friends came by to visit and we baked cookies. And at that point, we were still able to get her up and down the stairs uh, for 
small periods of time, but mm-hmm. it was hard for her to be up because it kind of made headaches worse and everything else. So we tried to do a lot of, you know, fun stuff in her room mm-hmm. um, just to pass the time. Yeah. Mm. Well, um, I think with great tragedy, there can also um, be a light mm-hmm. that comes from that. And I think you and your husband and your family have done a really beautiful job honoring Avery. And so you've set up Avery Strong. So can you tell us a little bit about your foundation sure. and what you do there? Sure. So Avery passed in February. She had her last brain surgery the last week of January. Um, and then she passed about two and a half weeks later on the 16th of February of 2016, just seven and a half months after her diagnosis. So we knew, um, both Brandon and I, that we couldn't just sit by and have, have our daughter and our family um, be exposed to this disease and succumb to this disease and not do anything. So DIPG itself is the most deadliest form of pediatric cancer. I'm like ashamed that I never even heard of it before. You know, Mm. my own daughter had it. But, you know, until you're kind of thrust into this world of cancer and tragedy and things like that, you're not always, your eyes are not always open to... Uh, maybe somebody else's pain and heartbreak. So so we try to build awareness. It's the most underfunded medically um, disease as well. So we we hope to put a stop to that. So what we have, we've established, it's called the Avery Huffman Defeat DIPG Foundation. Avery's slogan for her whole battle was Avery Strong. Um, so that's in our logo as well. Um, And essentially what we fund is medical research for DIPG specifically um, in hopes of finding a cure so that kids and families ahead um, won't have to face death. There'll be some treatment options. They won't be told, you know, you need to go make memories because there's nothing we can do for you. There's going to be some treatment options. There's going to be some medicine to take. There's going to be some some hope that's going to be yeah. able to be given. Um, and so that's our goal. And that's what we're, we're pushing for in our grief is that nobody will know this pain, you know? Yeah. How many kids are affected in the U S yeah. In the U S alone each year, they say like three to 400 cases. Wow. That's a lot. So they consider it rare. However, um, I would say it's real, so it doesn't even matter if it's rare or not. It's terminal, and a lot of people don't realize there's, you know, a sort of brain cancer that kids can get that will kill them, and there's nothing that they can do, and there's nothing that they can give them that makes it stop. And so, you know, I guess that's, like, part of it, too, is, you know, before this, I, I was unaware that, you know, that there was such a thing like it's like oh well there's medicine right I mean this day and age yeah. there's got to be all Something. these different things yeah so so it's it's considered rare uh, but now that I'm a family that's been affected by this we make ourselves available to other families too that have may you know 
God forbid, one day also know this nightmare, um, just that we can support them and come around them and and help them in kind of those hard questions. You know, parents that have been through it seem to know more than a lot of medical professionals, sadly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sitting back and not saying something wasn't really an option for us. So, yeah, yeah. In your foundation, do you, so you do meet other parents that are either had or are dealing with this same diagnosis? Mm -hmm. We're part of a larger network. Our our foundation is, our parent chapter is in, based out of Maryland and Bethesda. It's called Michael Mosier Defeat DIPG Foundation. And the Mosier started the Defeat DIPG Network, um, in honor of their son, who was also diagnosed with DIPG just uh, about a year before Avery. So um, they connected with us when Avery was sick, kind of stood by us, offered support, advice, encouragement, love, all of those things. Um, it's just nice to have another family to bounce questions off of. Yeah. Share your pain, um, you know, simple things like, you know, what did you do when this happened and, you know, Michael could no longer talk and you couldn't understand him. Mm. Um, things like that. Like it's, it was, yeah, just really a comfort to have other people that understood exactly what you, you know, were going through. So they, they have established, uh, the foundation. So our, Ours here in Washington State is a registered uh, name for their foundation, so we're under them. And there's a few other families across the country that have also joined forces together with us. We have one in Chicago, also one in the Houston area, one in Kansas. Um, So we're really trying to work together. um, And then we, we pool all of the money that we fundraise each year and we co-fund um, various medical uh, trials and grant proposals. We have a scientific uh, council that reviews all of our proposals, so it's nice. We have head medical professionals from all the elite institutions that review everything. We know that uh, so many doctors and hospitals, they want money. You know, mm-hmm. everyone wants money. Yeah. But we also know how hard we work for each dollar. So it's great to have our scientific council that reviews our funding proposals because we're funding the things that make the most sense and yeah. not just giving money away, you know, yeah. because we like this doctor or, you know, whatnot. So yeah, it it's it's a good um, it's a good setup for for what we're doing, and um, I think that us working together um, only creates more movement and moving the needle towards a cure, so yeah, I think that's an important uh, thing to, to mention, too. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, I think it's admirable that you took that path. I I think there's always two things to do when you're faced with a challenge and something so tragic, which is to, to do it in isolation and to do it in community. Mm -hmm. And neither of those are better than the other. You know, we all kind of handle our, our pain and 
our situation differently. But I do think that doing it in community just helps you, I think, but also from sitting here on the other side of the couch to see you take the next step and to see you continue on for your kids and for your family and for Avery Mm -hmm. and to do all this good. It just makes me really inspired Mm -hmm. because I think you're really strong, but I think it also just shows that as moms, we can move forward. Yeah. So even our greatest fears will always be stronger than them. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate you sharing all of your story today. And for those that are listening, um, I think it's important to learn more. So Avery does have a website. Um, she'll tell you more about the foundation. And one of my favorite pictures of all time is on that website where Avery's sitting in the chair oh, with the balloons. the balloons. Yeah. It's my favorite picture. Um, so I would encourage you to check it out. I'll have a link here below um, and also get involved. I think, you know, spreading the word and being involved. You guys have an event. It just happened, but yes. it happens every year. Yes, we just had our big gala. Next year will be in 2020. It will be our fifth annual Be Strong Go Gold Gala. September is the Pediatric Cancer Awareness Month. So we chose September um, to host that, um, and all the money that we raise each year goes for DIPG research. And, and so that's kind of our biggest one, although we fundraise, of course, all throughout the year um, in various ways too. Cool. Well, with everything that you've gone through and seeing that you're now on this side of it, right, where you're going to start impacting hopefully a cure so parents don't have to have the make memories Mm -hmm. suggestion and can have a more treatment option given to them. What's your one piece of advice for the mamas out there that are listening? Just one, huh? (laughs) Or all of it. (laughs) I would, I would really say, you know, I think we all try to be super mom, you know, we try to, be all things for all people all the time. But I would say it's okay to, to lean on other people, you know, mm-hmm. and it could be a simple thing, but, it, and it's okay to ask for help too. So I, I, th- I think oftentimes we aren't vulnerable and we aren't real with ourselves to say like, we're tired. We don't know what to do, whatever, you know, whatever the circumstance. Um, but I, I would encourage moms to, to be able to lean when they feel incapable and find support in that. And oftentimes that will be enough to get you through. Um, and so don't, don't be fearful of leaning, uh, in whatever capacity that could be. And you don't have to be everything all the time. Mm. And there's, there's, great, um, awareness in knowing what you need when you need it and acknowledging that. And so, and you might turn out to be a better mom when you're able to realize that you can't be everything, you know, by yourself. So, um, and then the other thing I would say too, is that not to sweat the small stuff, you know, life, life can be crazy. And, you know, even in somebody in my place of grief and what we've been through and what we're still going through, like this is a lifelong process for us we have joy and pain now always together they're they're one in the same so 
while we're getting ready to celebrate Alex turning 16, we're also, you know, celebrating um, Avery being 11, but she's, you know, missing and absent from Mm -hmm. us on her birthday. So there's, you know, Christmas, all these things, like it's joy and pain all the time. Those two go hand in hand. But I would say not sweating the small stuff, you know, focus on what's really important in your life and don't, don't be, don't let your life be jumbled with things that don't matter, um, that are insignificant, maybe to the big picture, those sorts of things. And, and to be a yes mom, you know, mm-hmm. don't always feel like you need to get to bed at seven because that's <laughs> bedtime, you know, one more book, mom, sure, honey. I mean, it could be just such simple things, but just to be a yes mom and let your kid walk in the rain if they want to walk in the rain, Mm. just all those simple things that don't hurt anyone, but they may add such joy even for just that moment. So that would be my advice. That's really good. I know Grayson is at this age right now where he's very independent. So he too, right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. Three is Um, even better. (laughs) I've heard that. I'm not looking forward to that. I've heard that. Um, and so there's times when I, he asks to do something like basic, right? Like mm-hmm. he wants to go feel the rain. Right. And I think like, that's really inconvenient for me sure. right now. And so I, tr- I'm working really hard to be like, okay, so if I say no to this, like why, if right. I can give a good enough answer as to why I'm not letting him do this, right? then, then we won't do it. But if it's just that I don't want to do it, well, that's silly. Right. So that is hard, but that is really good advice to just, and and yeah, of course you're not going to let him do stuff that's going to hurt himself or risk or harm or anything like that. But, but yeah, one more glass of water, a cup of hot chocolate, whatever it is, like those are such simple things that can bring such joy. And so I always like encourage people like, you don't know what tomorrow is going to be, you know, or next year or, you know, you Heaven, you know, maybe you wake up and I mean, you just never know what yeah. what tomorrow will bring. So seize yeah. the day today, and yeah, let him feel the rain. Mm. <laughs> he wants to, yeah, right. Jump in those puddles, right. Even though I'm have to do laundry again. Oh man, I know <laughs> laundry doesn't stop. Well, Amanda, I can't thank you enough for being here today and for sharing your story. And I'm looking forward to the moms who will hear this and dads and whoever. Um, and then hopefully coming alongside you and really being a part of the foundation and, um, just learning more about Avery and DIPG so that we can help spread the word. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share about her. Oh, of course. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you loved it. Please subscribe to this podcast so you can get the latest episodes and tell us what you think about it in the reviews. And mamas, I love you.